Welcome to the Coeur Adventist Podcast. Created, produced, and directed by the members of the Coeur Seventh-day Adventist Church. To connect. To grow. To grow. To worship. To reflect Jesus. Let's discover what we can do. Together. 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 Welcome to Interviews, where we take the time to get to know individuals in our faith community a little better. My name is RJ Henneberg, and for the next few episodes, we will be interviewing some members who have been involved in mission work overseas. And in this particular episode, I get to talk with a member who is probably most known for his amazing pancakes and grits. Today, we are talking with Steve Pipkin. So let's get to know him a little better. So Steve, where uh, where is your place of, of growing up? Where were you raised and all that? Well, I was raised in West Texas, born out in the oil fields, Midland, Odessa area, and uh, raised in Abilene, Texas, which is, I've never understood why it's there. So how, how close to Dallas? <laughs> For those of us who well, don't know. Abilene is between Midland and Dallas. I'd say it's... Uh, 150 to 60 miles from okay. Dallas. So in Texas terms, that's pretty close. Yes. Okay. Texas is about 900 miles wide. Oof. And Boy. Uh, so you're, you <clears throat> were born and raised there. Mm-hmm. And then was this something where, like, you were born in the church, or did you... No. I, uh, while I still lived in Abilene, I was in junior high, and uh, we, my mother's had had church history in her family and for some reason she decided to join the church and uh or at least start going and i went too and uh i wasn't particularly against it but i uh just went and visited and the people there were so nice that uh, that's particularly that really is what attracted me to the church so you um did you have a father in the house too or yes Yes, and he never joined the church, and my parents eventually ended up divorcing. But uh, and then my mar- my mother married another man who I won't talk about today. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> so you joined the church, kind of your teenage years, um, and then did you go to college? Then did you? Yes, I I went ahead and went. I don't know how my dad did it, but uh, we went to Keene, Texas, to. Uh, go to the, uh, at that time it was uh, Southwestern Union College. Okay. And uh, my sister and I both went there. She's two years older than me. And uh, neither one of us graduated from college during that time, but uh, got quite a few hours. And then uh, she eventually became a nurse, and and uh, I got into construction. And then... Uh, became a painting contractor, and uh, that's when I went and met my wife, Deborah was her name, Debbie, and uh, we were ended up being married 29 years and having two children. Wow! And uh, she, well, I lost her in in 2003 to cancer. So that's that was my, you know, and during that time we went to Africa and uh, Guam. 
So we were in the mission field for almost 10 years. So you met her, um, what was she doing? You met her and you're a painting contractor. She was, she was a teacher and had, and was from California, but she moved to Texas just to be somewhere different. Okay. And, uh, and she, oh, we had, we had mutual friends who, uh, well, I had a friend who was a teacher, another woman who was a teacher and, uh, she introduced us and they kept saying they'd get us together, they'd get us together, and they never did, so I just called her and we went out. <laughs> <laughs> and interestingly enough, we were married 57 days after we met. Wow. And ended up being married 29 years. Wow. How, you know, we're kind of looking into mission for these next few episodes. How, um, how did that come about? Like, is it something where, boy, you guys got married, let's just go off and be missionaries? Or no, it-, it was mostly something she wanted i hadn't really uh looked into it you know and uh but she wanted she thought it would be wonderful to be a missionary and and we uh decided we turned she turned our name in for it and what's interesting is uh the call came to us to to become missionaries and it was for me to uh go over and well, technically, they—I mean, the way they said it was—they just wanted us to go over there and uh, go to this school and help keep it from falling down around their ears. <laughs> that was—that was the actual, yeah, what was said to me. And I was sent over as a builder because I had some building experience, and uh, and so that's essentially what the call was. And eventually, the call came through. And we went to the Mission Institute, where we learned to be missionaries, sort of, and uh, and then ended up over there. And, and this this is Africa that you yes. were called to? Okay. Southeastern Africa, they call it. And Malawi is uh, west of uh, Mozambique. And at that time, Mozambique was uh, still um, oh, communistic, and uh, they were at war part of the time we were there. And uh, west of us was Zambia, which uh, was, uh, I always got in trouble when I went to Zambia, and that's one of my stories today. Okay. <laughs> and uh, for some reason, I just couldn't, uh, I, I looked at them wrong, or we did the wrong thing, or said something wrong every time we went. So you arrive in Malawi. Yes. Um, and you're going to start building, mm-hmm. or you're trying to keep a building from falling down. Well, actually, it was a school that was already there. It had been there a long time. And it was up in the, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we had to get a car when we got there. And um, so we stayed at some, at some other mission, headqu- mission places, in these two, in, uh, mainly in Lilongwe, while we were waiting to go up. And uh, fortunately, we had friends in Lilongwe who were, they were dentists. And uh, so uh, we, yeah. were, we were able to go down... <laughs> It was a four-hour drive, but we were able to go down and see them now and then. So we would, because when we lived in Lilong, no, in Lunjika, when we lived in Lunjika, we were alone as far as uh, expatriates, uh, you know, being uh, Americans was concerned. All the people that were with us up there were Malawians, and uh, and having a Malawian as a true friend where you can talk to them uh, spiritually and uh, share secrets with and things like that isn't you can't do it because they like to gossip. Yeah, and uh, that's just part of the the uh, 
culture over there and it doesn't fit in with the way we live so it uh it took us a while but we learned that you couldn't have really close friends and if you did have close friends up there you had to be careful with them because uh other people would talk about them and punish them for their for them hanging around you too much yeah boy and that's got a, I bet that was a learning curve. Initially, yes. it's probably, mm-hmm. you feel already pretty isolated and to have, yes, you know, that. Yeah, and, the, and uh, there were all, the, you know, greetings when, when people came to greet you. They would either, the women would sit down or kneel. And so I learned that you would you'd try to sit down and talk to them face to face or kneel with them because uh, I didn't feel very comfortable standing there looking down at people all the time. When we would be at a gathering in the school, uh, the students would come and serve. They would uh, serve us snacks and things like that, and they they would uh, go around on their knees to serve it to us. The lady, young ladies, would. Yeah. So it, it's a different, and we tried not to tell them that it was wrong. Yeah. yeah. Because it's their their culture, and I don't know whether it's a sin or not. So you went over there and did you, you had kids already? Yes. My daughter turned six years old the day after we got there. And a friend, a lady who became a friend of ours went out and got some eggs so she could make a cake for her (laughs) that day. And then your son is younger? Yes. A year and a half. They're a year and a half apart. So you're there. Uh, How long until you took a trip to Zambia? I'm a little interested in Zambia. (laughs) Well, we went, after one year, we went down to South Africa and we drove through Zambia, but we didn't have our problems at that time. Uh, We were with other friends who knew knew Africa well, and so we didn't run into any problems. And we went down there and they bought another truck, and so we helped them drive their truck back. And... uh, uh, we had the thing so full that my son, there was three of us in the cab, and that's all it would hold. And my son was in the back lying on top of all our stuff. It, we had, it had a, a cover over the top of it. And he rode most of the way back from, from uh, Zim, what is it, Johannesburg, South Africa, back up to where we lived. It was two or three days. Oh. And uh, up in the back of the car. So we, we took that trip, and then uh, the next time we went to Zambia, we were going down there to see friends who were uh, kind of camping at a, a, one of the game parks. And uh, on our way down, we, we stopped. There was a big bridge there, and it had a river under it, and the river had geese in it, and there's only one or two kinds of geese in Africa, so we were very interested in that. We were bird watchers. So we stopped and got out and were standing there watching with our binoculars. And uh, a whole bunch of men started running out of the forest that had bushes in their helmets and were wearing green clothes and stuff like that. And some of them had guns, not very many. But they uh, told us that we were doing the wrong thing. (laughs) They didn't say we were under arrest because I don't think any of them had the authority but they told us we had to go and see someone else, and so they took us, made us, one of them got in the car and made us drive down the road to see this other guy, and he came running out screaming with a gun in his hand and uh, wondering what was going on. And so we told him that uh, we were watching bird, bird watching, 
and they decided that they we were actually spies and they were we were looking for ways to blow up the bridge and uh, because Zambia was having problems with some other country there at that time and your whole family was with you well it was yes plus we had a young man about he was about 20 years old and my wife had taught him when he was in school in Texas and so we brought he came over to see us and he was staying with us for a few months and so he was with us and he was uh and so this was um I had been dealing with Africans just long enough to know what was um I didn't take it very seriously I'll put it that way because they get excited over things that we don't and so so they finally took they took two guys picked two guys out and sent us out into the bush uh and they had guns and they sent us out into the bush to ask us well I thought we were going to meet someone like a lieutenant or a or a colonel or something like that that would have a little bit of training and education and stuff and we could just talk to him but they took us out into the bush a ways 20 or 30 minutes and left our kids in the car and so during this uh, 20 or 30 minute walk, we got into the bush and then they set us down and they made Ben and I take our shirts off and roll our pants up above our knees. They were looking for marks of military type stuff. I don't know what exactly they, they were intending to find, but we were just two, two white, whiter guys than most white guys. <laughs> and, uh, and so they... Uh, then they questioned us for quite a while, but one one of them asked me about a, a mission that was fairly near where we were right there. I don't remember the name of it right now, but it was a mission that was uh, was an Adventist mission, and it was there to teach farmers how to uh, compost and to do and to take and grow gardens more or less organically, so they didn't have to buy fertilizer and they could control weeds and stuff like that. And, uh, and so that's about all I knew about it. But I told them what I had heard about it, and that seemed to convince them that we were not army people there to blow the place up. Yeah. And, and so they began to uh, ease off, and finally they told us to get up and walk. And so we started leaving, and when we left, we went out a different direction, and it didn't feel like we were going toward the highway. And that... I don't know if you've ever been afraid. You know, in America, we're never afraid. Uh, we see on TV all the time people pointing guns at each other and nobody ever re really reacts to it and stuff. But fear is, uh, if you're really afraid, your mouth dries up. And uh, you start thinking of things to do that you normally wouldn't do. And uh, Ben was was following behind my, I was right behind my wife and she was staying right behind the guy in front of us and he was leading us out. And the Ben was lagging further behind and this guy was behind him. So we were spread out some and he and I both were thinking how we could get these guys and take their guns away if we felt like we were in danger. And I was scared. And uh, so before long, we got to hearing traffic, and we realized that we'd just gone out a different way, you know. And uh, the, the strangest thing about it was that when we got out and went down the road back toward our car, 
the kids were crying. But we got back, and they shook our hands and sent us on our way, just like we were good friends. Yeah. That was a, it was a strange day, and it was a tough day. But uh, we, uh, we got back, and we went and saw our friends down in uh, one of the game parks. And then we came back, and we stopped in, at the Capitol and went to the U.S. Embassy and told them about what happened to us. And, uh, and the guy in the embassy was, uh, I, I let Debbie go in and talk to him because you didn't dare leave your car with a bunch of stuff in it in, uh, in this city, you know, because even if you were in a gas station, they would steal stuff while you were on the other side of the car. So we, she went in and the, the man couldn't believe that she could sit there and talk and tell him this story without breaking into tears and stuff because it was such a bad day so interesting so you're there uh so you're in malawi for six six seven and a half years seven and a half years Mm -hmm. and we were at lunjika for six straight and then we moved down to a, a a mission that is more better known in the u.s it's called malamulo and uh there was a lady who wrote quite a few books about it and back, if you uh, if you read some of these books, you'd know the name. The word Malamulo means law. <laughs> some some Adventists decided to name the mission law, the <laughs> law, you know. And we, there was a big secondary school there, and I tore the entire school down and rebuilt it. Of course, I didn't do it myself. I had 60 or 70 people working for me. Oh, wow. But we tore the whole school down and rebuilt it in about a year and a half while they were still going to school in it. <laughs> So it was a piece at a time, you know. Yeah. And that was my last time there. Okay. At, le- at least in Malawi. And, uh, but there were a lot of other things that happened while we were there. Well, one time my wife got up early in the morning. Uh, it seemed like it was Sabbath, but I'm not sure. But she got up early in the morning and went in. We had chickens. She got up and, and, one, and she came back into the house, and I was still in bed, and she said, she said, Steve, there's a snake in the, in the chicken house. And so I said, well, he's gone by now. You probably scared him away. And she said, she said well, I don't, you know, can you come out and check? So I, I got up and went out there, and I didn't, couldn't see anything, but there were t- dead chickens on the floor. And so I opened the door and looked back through the crack of the, where the hinge crack is, and I heard this sound that went, <sighs> like that. And I said, well, he's still in there. And uh, so a friend of ours that was an African friend that came over that I liked a lot, and he uh, said he'd, he'd hang from the rafters in the chicken house. It was low, and he'd, he'd hang from up there and walk himself across the floor and then see if he can get it out. And he got partway in there, and this snake stuck its head up above the chicken nest, and uh, he dropped down and ran back out again. And uh, we found out that it was a spitting cobra. Ooh. And uh, it sprayed against the glass in the back of the house, and uh, my wife and, and he had gone around there to look. And finally, we opened that window, and they got a long bamboo pole and were p- punching at him, trying to get him to come out. And I was in the front with Ben. And, uh, the, this is the same guy that was visiting for mm-hmm, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, this, that poor guy. <laughs> well, anyway, we were, we were out in the front, and the... Uh, Snake starts sticking his head through the door 
hinge crack in the door. And so we had the door open toward us, and or well, I don't remember, but anyway, we could take the door and close it. And yeah. so about every foot or so of him coming out, we close it on him. <laughs> and uh, he was he was able to spray about 15 feet. And uh, he sprayed several times, five or six times. I was amazed at how much venom he had, or she, I don't know which. But anyway, we finally got it out of there, and I thought, boy, it'd be neat to skin it, but it, we'd we'd messed it up so bad we, we i didn't skin it but it was seven feet long oh and it was big as my wrist and uh had the big hood and it was jet black all over completely jet black but uh that was a kind of a neat day <laughs> uh, it wasn't as scary though you know as uh having guns pointed at you but it was uh it was interesting to deal with it you know yeah they they have marvelous um, stories about snakes over there, about how these certain ones used to hang from trees and bite you on top of the head. And people wore, um, they would walk around with hot porridge on top of their heads for all the time. And these snakes would bite, try to bite them and die in the hot porridge. And so they killed all those snakes. And so now they don't bother them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of their, their stories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So anything as bad as uh, almost getting shot out in the jungle? <laughs> Not to us, but there are there are things that make you mad that happen. There were only two cars in the region where we lived, and I was mine was one of them, and another guy ran a store, and he used his, uh, but he would charge people quite a bit to take them to town and stuff, and uh, sometimes I would take them if I could if I could find something else to do and I could afford it. And um, one time they, some people came to me and there was a little girl that was about 13 years old and she wasn't, they, they said she wasn't able to move. You know, it sounded like she was partially paralyzed or something like that. And I found out it hadn't been very long that she'd been like this. And so I said, how big is she? Because they, a man or a woman could carry uh small child on their back and they were able to get on a bus without the bus if someone was really sick the bus wouldn't let them get on but i they said they could put her on her back on their back because she was small and i said well i want you i will give you the money for the bus ride and i want you to go up to the bus stage up at up at above where we lived as a matter of fact i took them up there and uh, and set them where the bus stops and so I, um, I left them there to fight, to get on the bus and go to the hospital in near town. And so we, um, when I went back home a couple of days later, they came to me and said, this girl was back home and she was not awake anymore. And so I said, what, what happened? And so they said, well, when they had her up at the bus stage, this man came and suggested they take her to the local doctor. In other words, what we call a witch doctor. And they, ta they wanted to take her, they decided to take her there. And so they took her just a few blocks down to the uh, witch doctor. And the, the, you know, the guy tattooed her forehead a little bit and shook bones over or whatever they do and uh, didn't do anything for her. And so they took her back home instead of going to the hospital and I found out that the man who had suggested this was my housekeeper, and uh, he was a village headman. 
And so he had suggested they take him up there. And so they came came to me the next a few days later and said she's unable to move. And so I got the car ready and uh, drove her into drove her into the hospital. And why and I dropped her off there and went on into town. And when I came back, she was already dead. And uh, I went into the doctor. He was a a British guy, you know. And I went in and asked him what it was, and he said it was cerebral malaria. And if she had come two or three days sooner, he could have cured her. And uh, that really made me mad <laughs> because I I had it all set up where they could do it right, and uh, and they didn't do it. And uh, I uh, I never completely got over that. So after Africa, you're in Guam. Uh, were you doing construction in Guam? I was supposed to do instruct construction in Guam, but that never worked out. Because <laughs> Guamanians uh, have their own people that they do construction in and all that kind of stuff. And the ones in the church didn't particularly want someone from the outside coming in and yeah and uh, competing with them. There were people that were real sweet in Guam too. Once you got and you know the church members and stuff. Once you got to know some of them, they were very sweet. They they would have. Uh, um, Fiestas, they called them fiestas over at their house. And, you know, like for any kind of an occasion, they'd throw a big fiesta. Yeah. And they were very, uh, very appreciative when you came and yeah. very sweet people. But, the, it, you know, just in the general rule of, of uh, society, we weren't important at all over there. But it's not a big deal to us, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, So you then moved back to the stateside after Guam yeah. where where'd you live after that in the Spokane Valley <laughs> okay yeah because we uh, um, we had known this man uh, Ron Scott and he was uh, he taught in I mean, he was a um, one of the school superintendents of the of the conference in Texas and Debbie why uh, lived with him and his family before I met her that's where I met her when she lived with him. And, uh, and then he told her that we're, oh, yeah, we followed him up to Kansas City, Missouri. We worked there for two years and then went back to Texas. And he told her that uh, then when he learned that she was going to the, we were going to the mission field, he said, wherever you are, wherever I am when you get back, you, if you go there, I'll hire you. I'll put you on as one of my teachers. And so we ended up coming back when he was with the um, conference over in, uh, over in Spokane. And he put her in the in the Spokane Valley Church, and she taught there for a year or so, and then became the principal. She was the principal there for eight years, and then we lost her to um, ovarian cancer, and she died in two thousand and one. Okay. And uh, my kids were grown by then, and so they have. My son went on and got his degree in uh, business, and my daughter eventually got her degree in respiratory therapy. And uh, so we, we've survived since then, but uh, it was tough. I, I got remarried, and uh, my wife that I'm married to is not an Adventist, but she's a good Christian, and I go to her church too a lot, and I sing there, but the people there are are as sweet and as Christians as yeah. as we are. So I can't complain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so how did you uh, how did you 
come to Coeur d'Alene, I guess. Well, it was uh, after my wife died. We lived in the valley, and we owned a house there. And uh, my, uh, it was after I met my wife here. Uh, Mia is her name. And most people have met her in the church. But anyway, Mia uh, lived in a duplex here in town that, with her parents. And so when I married her, we ended up just being in that duplex. And we, and her parents, her mother died, and then we found another house where we could live and we could rent the whole duplex and it paid our rent, our, our, you know, it was, uh, the house was, uh, the duplex was paid for. So I consider the fact that we own property is just luck. I don't, yeah. I don't consider myself any kind of a special investor or anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, excellent. I know one thing, you know, we sure appreciate the work you do around here, whether it's the Deacon stuff, you know, opening up whether it's the breakfast connection, we've, the, we've the been grits doing a little and pancakes. Bit of the, yeah, I've been helping a little bit with the, the remodeling the rooms down there. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. See, that's the hard part, too. We've all been away for so long. There's yeah. things that are, that are happening that yeah. it'll be exciting to see for sure. Mm-hmm. New carpet, new paint. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be nicer. And you make amazing salsa, man, man of many talents. <laughs> <laughs> well, I sell the salsa over at the other church. I don't sell it here because when I'm here on Sabbath, I feel I would feel odd. Yeah, selling it, <laughs> even if I even if I was given the money to a, charity. A charity, yeah. yeah. I usually give it to a charity that's uh, it's called uh, Family Promise, and it's people who are who have lost their jobs and lost their place to live and yeah. we keep them in in churches around town now they're all staying in one church because they don't they're afraid to move them because of the virus but they're but every week a different church uh, stays with them and feeds them and serves them and yeah. and we still do that but we're um we give our a lot of our donations to them to help them uh keep these people and they're about 85 percent uh successful of get, getting these people back into homes and jobs. Yeah, well, that's great. That's a, it's a good, if anybody wants to donate, that's a good place to yeah. think about, you know. Yeah, very cool. Well, excellent. Thanks so much for your time and letting well, us get to know you a little bit better. And, yeah, well, it's enjoyable. And I, I can't wait till we uh, get to have those pancakes and grits in person <laughs> again soon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Special thanks to Steve Pipkin for spending some time and letting us get to know him a little better, and to Ryan Bell for music. For more information about our church, visit cdaadventist.org. 